I want to thank each and every one of you for being here tonight, uh, for coming out and so we can study God's Word together. And want to especially encourage and thank our visitors for coming our way. This is a holiday weekend and we have several away, but also we have several that's come our way. And I want to encourage you to pray for those that are traveling uh, over this holiday weekend. Uh, it was handed to me a note about Cindy Harmon. She had uh, some emergency surgery for a kidney stone yesterday. They put a stent in and she has another one in another large one in her right kidney. So we want to remember Cindy, uh, Cindy Harmon uh, as she deals with this as well uh, at, in addition to others on our prayer list. Also there was a note given to me about uh, Ladies Day. Uh, this is at the Walnut Grove Church of Christ. Uh, this is on Saturday, September the 17th at two, uh, 2016 uh, registration at 9.30 and the speaker will be Teddy Copeland and when I saw that she's from the Stony Point Church of Christ uh, she's the secretary there. There, She's a, a, an excellent uh, lady, an excellent uh, woman of God, uh, also uh, an excellent speaker. So I encourage you, if, if you would like to be a part of that, to go and attend uh, that service there on September the 17th, Ladies' Day at Walnut Grove. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of John, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and I hope that you have your Bibles or your devices ready because we're going to turn to uh, several passages of Scripture tonight and I'll do my best to give you time to get there as we read those things. Have you ever felt like nobody understands? No one really understands what I'm going through. No one understands where I'm at in life or the struggles that I'm going through or the things that I'm dealing with. Well, tonight I want us to notice that there is someone who understands. In the book of John, chapter 1, John starts this letter off saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John then proceeds to go on and tell about his witness of the light to come, and that uh, which was the Word, that was Jesus Christ. We'll find out in a minute. John chapter 1 and verse 14. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Solomon asked as he dedicated the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. But God has and His glory dwelt in the tabernacle back in, in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 30, and in the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. But that glory had departed disobedient Israel, uh, Ezekiel reminds us in chapters 9, 10, and 11. John then tells us in verse 14, notice what he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word dwelt literally means to live in a tent or a tabernacle. Some are others, some, some say to pitch tent. Someone has said he camped among us. One commentator had this to say about the word dwelt. While this picture can symbolize the temporary inhabiting of the human body viewed as a tent or tabernacle, more naturally the expression refers to God's dwelling in the midst of His people as He had done in the tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament. John reminds us that Jesus came from the splendor of heaven. 
to earth to live in flesh as human. John makes it clear that the Son of God came in the flesh and was subject to the sinless infirmities of human nature. For example, notice some of the things that John's Gospel tells about Jesus, about His humanity. John says Jesus was weary, John chapter 4 and verse 6. He was thirsty, John chapter 4 and verse 7. He groaned within, John chapter 11. He openly wept, you know the verse, John eleven thirty five. On the cross, Jesus thirsted, John chapter 19. And on that same cross, He died and He bled. And after His resurrection, He proved to Thomas and the other disciples that He still had a real body, John chapter 20. And this is where I want us to focus today. I want us to think about and notice that Jesus understands in four different ways the things that we go through. And He understands what it's like to be flesh. Turn over in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Alright, young people, this is for you. Jesus understands what it's like to be a young person. Look at chapter 2 and verse 40. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Look at chapter 2 and verse 43. We'll notice that Jesus as a young person was curious. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind. Something caught his attention. There was something else that he wanted to go. And of course we know later he found himself in the, or went off to the temple. But he lingered. He was curious. Something had drawn his attention away. Look at verse 48 and following. Jesus, are you with me young people? Jesus knows what it's like to deal with parents. Verse 48 and following. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to him, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Did you catch that? When Jesus' parents came to Him, I can imagine as a, as a parent, it wasn't, Oh, son, why did you do this? No, I can imagine they were ready to shake Him. Son, why did you do this to us? We thought you were lost. We thought we had lost you. What in the world were you thinking? Jesus knows what it's like to deal, young people, with parents. Parents being frustrated with you. But notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1-3. through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Listen up, young people. Jesus knows what it's like to deal with parents. Jesus knows what it's like to be a young person, to grow up. Jesus knows what it's like to deal with parents being frustrated with you. Yet, look at what Jesus did. Verse 51. And He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Jesus, the Son of God, knowing what it's like to be young, knowing what it's like to deal with parents, the Bible says He was subject to them even though he knew he should be about his father's business. And that's where they should have looked. So Jesus sets an example 
Jesus understands what it's like. And Jesus, He also grew in a balanced way. Look at verse 52 of Luke chapter 2. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus grew intellectually. Study is important. Jesus also grew physically. It's important that we take care of our physical selves. And Jesus grew spiritually and socially. So young people, if you want to know what it's like to be like Jesus, He knows what it's like to be like you. And He grew in this balanced way. He was subject to His parents. And He understands what it's like to be a young person. But notice in the next place, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus understands what it's like to deal with temptation. Now all of us, all of us can relate here. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Notice what Jesus does. Notice the temptation that Satan comes at Him with and how He overcomes that. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4. To be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, and he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into a holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Jesus understands temptation. You know, I am thankful that the first thing in the progression of Jesus' temptation that it says, He fasted. He was hungry. It's not like this was a temptation that didn't affect Him in His human form. And yet Jesus quoted Scripture. And He said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus understands what it's like to be tempted. But here's another thing about our temptation. Satan, Satan knows Scripture. You ever thought about that? The Bible says, Satan says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. But Jesus says, Oh no, Satan, you're twisting that. For it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus understands what it's like to be tempted. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, the Bible says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now you might say, How in the world can Jesus be tempted like us? 
I mean, that was thousands of years ago. Here it is, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Have you ever thought about taking 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16 and compare it to the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden? He tempted them in three different ways. Matthew chapter 4, temptation of Jesus. He tempted him in three different ways. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Satan tempts us in the exact same ways. Jesus understands what it's like to face that temptation, to overcome that temptation. Jesus showed us that we can overcome that by remembering Scripture. It's important that we spend time reading and and memorizing and putting that Word in our minds and our hearts like we talked about this morning. Paul said in Ephesians 6, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks of the devil. And what was one of the weapons? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I came across this illustration. A man talked about rattlesnakes. And this is what he said about rattlesnakes. He said, rattlesnakes are fairly common where I live. He went on to say he encounters one almost every summer. It is a frightening experience to see a rattlesnake coiled, looking at you, ready to strike. He's lightning quick and accurate. He said he has a simple two-point program for handling rattlesnakes. Here it is. Simple, shun, and avoid. You don't need much insight to figure out what what to do with something as dangerous as a diamondback rattler. You don't mess around. Let me clear up some stuff about snakes. I don't handle snakes. I know some, uh, many of you have seen our pictures on, on Facebook. Uh, that was a little bitty snake. Not much bigger than this microphone. That picture blew it up. But listen, I don't like snakes. But I'll let a king snake live because it'll take care of these poisonous snakes. But I couldn't imagine walking up on a diamondback rattlesnake. But yet, if we know the danger of a rattlesnake... Wouldn't it be equally important for us to understand the danger of Satan and the danger of the things he puts in our lives to try to pull us away from God? Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. But notice in the next place tonight, Jesus understands rejection and being alone. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6. I'll just go ahead and tell you ahead of time, we'll also be traveling over to Luke, chapter 22, and Matthew, chapter 27. John, chapter 6. I want us to notice verses 60 through 66. Notice how... Many of Jesus' followers, how they react to Him. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 60. Therefore many of His disciples 
When they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to him, said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who there who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time many of his disciples, now these are his followers, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Now we're talking about Jesus the Son of God in the flesh on the earth with people. And they rejected him and left him. Mark chapter 8 and verse 31, the Bible says, And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 22. We'll look at a few verses in chapter 22 and chapter 23. Chapter 22, we... we, uh, alluded to a little of this this morning in our lesson. Chapter 22, verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was also called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, Shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know that was Peter. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Judas came out and betrayed him. And he left Jesus. Peter was ready to fight. Cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. Yet... Peter also betrayed him. Having arrested him, verse 54, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him, as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also is with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. I love verse 61. Not because it was Peter, but I can imagine how Peter must have felt. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he was said, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Jesus understands what it's like to go through rejection and being alone. Look at Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 13. Then Pilate... 
when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, he, and said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you, uh, for I sent you back to him, and indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feasts. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city, and for murder. Pilate, therefore wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Then He said to them a third time, Why, what evil has He done? I have found no reason for death in Him. I will therefore chastise Him and let Him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that He be crucified. Jesus understands what it's like to be rejected even by some of His own followers. Turn over to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. We looked at some of this this morning. Chapter 27, and we'll begin in verse 28. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put on his own clothes, and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with drink. But when he tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lot that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now notice what happens next. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads, and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, He saved others himself, he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come now, come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he, if he will, have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, There was darkness over all the land. You think Jesus understands what it's like to be rejected and be alone? And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus understands what it's like to be rejected and to be alone. And then Jesus also understands what it's like to go through pain, human pain, and human suffering. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Mark. 
Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 63. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him, and to blindfold him, and beat him, and to say to him, Prophesy! And the officers struck him with the palm of their hands. Saturday morning at our men's breakfast, I made mention of the scourging scene. If you've never seen the Passion of the Christ and that scourging scene, it's hard to watch. It's hard to see the physical suffering Jesus went through. You see, for sometimes we, many times we've seen movies, we've seen Jesus placed on that cross, and we've seen the, 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 net, the spikes driven through his arms, through his wrists, and through his feet, and heard the pain of the voice on those actors trying to give us an idea of what Jesus must have gone through. But you see, that's not where the pain began. The pain may have begun with that rejection, not being alone, from the very people who were teaching about Him, who walked with Him, who learned from Him, who grew in many ways to love Him. And then He was beaten several times. But then the scene of that scourging, to have His back ripped open, it's hard to watch. But the reality is Jesus did suffer pain and agony physically. Chapter 15 of Mark, verses 16 through 20. Notice what the Bible says. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple. And they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with the reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him and put on his own clothes and they led him out to crucify him. Jesus understands what it's like to go through pain, physical pain and suffering. We may feel like nobody understands, but the reality is Jesus understands. Jesus understands what it's like to be young, to grow up in this world, to have parents who love Him but sometimes get frustrated with Him and He knew how to obey. Jesus understands what it's like to deal with temptation. Jesus understands what it's like to face the devil. He understands what it's like to be rejected and to be alone. And yes, He understands what it's like to go through physical pain and suffering. Turn your Bibles to our last Scripture, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. And I want you to notice what the Bible says about Jesus 
in our relation to Him. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Here's the great message. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath, from wrath through Him. For if we, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see, the idea of reconciliation lets us know that there must have been a separation, a, a, a reason to need reconciliation. We see that back in the book of Genesis. For you see, as we grow up through life and we give in to that temptation and we experience sin, then we also experience that separation from God. And because of that separation from God, the Bible says that God loves all. God wishes that all should come to repentance and that none should perish. Because God so loved everyone, all of His creation, that He gave Jesus Christ to be that reconciliation. So that, no one, that, that now those through faith and obedience to Jesus Christ could be buried with Him in baptism to rise in newness of life, to be brought back in that union with Almighty God, to be reconciled. If you haven't done that tonight... It's our prayer that you will. God loves you so much that He sent Jesus for you to take your place on that cross so that through your faith and obedience to Him, that relationship can be reconciled. Maybe it is you're here tonight. You're celebrating this holiday weekend. But yet there's some things that are separating you from God. You've allowed Satan to bring all these things into your life to distract you, to pull you away. What better time than the present with your Christian family, with your church family to say, I, I need your prayers, church family. I need your prayers, brothers and sisters. Because as we talked about this morning, it's tough. It's tough living the Christian life. But yet we have so many examples, Jesus and others. Hebrews chapter 11, these people were not perfect. They made mistakes and they had to repent of those mistakes. Maybe it is tonight and you need, you're here and you need to do that. We don't say that as a way to embarrass anyone. We say that as a plea. As a plea for myself first and for all of us collectively that we need that encouragement to see people make things right with God. Because there may, there may likely be a day, and will likely be a day I need to make things right with God. And so we stand ready.
and willing to pray with you and to pray for you. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, don't wait another moment, but come forward and let us assist you as together we stand and sing.